following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Hi, my name is Doug. As uh, Trevor said earlier, uh, Pastor John's in San Diego this morning for some away time, refreshing time, but it's also the um, Pacific Region uh, Conference for Open Bible Pastors, and so he's there doing a little bit of work and probably a lot of fun. But uh, So he's gone. Pastor Matt's in the Southland somewhere being trained for his National Guard duties, and so here I am this morning. I want to share with you this morning uh, something about two weeks ago we were on one of our volunteer work projects, and Gary Emery, who's the superintendent of our Pacific Region Open Bible Churches, came and shared some church bloopers with us. And I always like church bloopers. Uh, They kind of show up, uh, you know, who we really are, and people are fallible and all that kind of thing. So I want to share just a few of those with you this morning. Okay, here we go. These These are actual extracted out of church bulletins. Not ours, but some church bulletins. Okay, due to the pastor's illness... The Wednesday evening healing service will be discontinued until further notice. (laughs) Or on a church bulletin during the minister's illness, God is good. Our pastor is better. (laughs) Health-wise, anyway. Um, Applications are now being accepted for two-year-old nursery workers. (laughs) We start them really young. (laughs) Uh, Barbara remains in the hospital and needs blood donors for more transfusions. She's also having trouble sleeping and requests tapes of pastor sermons. (laughs) The eighth graders will be presenting Shakespeare's Hamlet in the church basement on Friday at 7 p.m. The congregation is invited to attend this tragedy. (laughs) If you're familiar with Shakespeare, you know that's a tragedy. Okay, the outreach committee has enlisted 25 visitors to make calls on people who are not afflicted with any church. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) And finally, one more. Potluck supper is this Wednesday. Prayer and medication will follow. (laughs) Well, we've been in this current series, Get Real, for several weeks now, and I'm going to do a little takeoff on some of that this morning. Before I do that, you know, one of the things I'm always interested in and kind of amazed at often are the backdrops that our our media team create for us. And sometimes those are explained pretty well, and sometimes they're just left to our own imagination. But I kind of like to try to figure out what they're all about. And the Get Real series, this one has been pretty good, because over here we have the real thing, and over here we have the almost real thing. Looks real. But, you know, if I were to go over here... And sit in this bench, obviously, that's a real bench. That's kind of comfortable, too. Maybe, maybe I should just stay here. Uh, but this is, a, this is the real part of it. If I were to go over and try to sit in that bench, however, I wouldn't fare quite so well. And that's the way it is in our life sometimes. We need to kind of distinguish between what's real and what's not. Uh, that holds true for the things around us in our world, but... More than that, and it kind of affects where we are in this series, it pertains to us individually to determine what's real in my life and what's not. How do I 
project myself? How do I relate to other people? Uh, if I were to go to the store and make a purchase and I get some change, I hope that what I'm getting in change is real and not fake or counterfeit. Wouldn't you? Yeah, I would, yeah, certainly. Uh, it holds true as well for uh, medicines. Now, some of us take medication on a regular basis because it's been prescribed and it's a necessary thing, and so we do that. Some of us uh, use, you know, Advil or something if we have a headache and we need to get some relief. But when you do that and when you have occasion to do that, I imagine that probably you hope it's the real thing you're taking and not just a sugar pill, right? Yeah, get real, not the phony stuff, not the, not the pretend stuff. Well, in our faith walk, it's also helpful to distinguish between what's real and what's pretend. I have a friend, or had a friend, he's gone now, but I had this friend who had a little saying that he used on occasion. Sometimes he used it in jest, sometimes he used it meaningfully, what he meant. And the phrase is this, just fake it till you make it. Well, now think about that for a minute. That, That really isn't a good philosophy in life, because it's suggesting that we can get by in life by faking it not by being real. And that's kind of contrary to this whole series that we've been doing. We need to get real in our life as well as in our faith. And this series has been addressing some of the stumbling blocks to a healthy community or a healthy faith life. And Pastor John has said many times, and we, I think, all subscribe to that or we wouldn't keep coming back, that that we look at ourselves here as a community of faith, a community of believers, or at least a community of seekers. And we come, and in order to be a community, we're not just isolated little pockets of individuals. We're people that we know each other's names, hopefully. Uh, Don't forget each other's names, hopefully not. That's my problem. Uh, But we are a community, and we, we try to come together as a community on a real basis, not just a pretend basis. We're not just pretending to do something when we come here, I hope. Now, last week, Pastor John spoke about the need for genuine, real forgiveness as a way of going deeper into our faith. And what I want to share with you this morning is kind of a connection with the idea of forgiveness in a very real way. It's a tool or an extension, and I use the phrase, the dynamic of confession. Now, confession, if we go to Webster, you can see on the screen up here, to confess something means admission or acknowledgement or concession about something. But as soon as I say the word confession, at least in my thinking, I, I, I think of two areas of confession. One is in the legal sense where we admit that we've broken some law. We confess, and we get the results. <laughs> uh, but that's in a legal sense. In a faith sense, confession revolves around admitting, again, that we broke something of God's law or God's moral sense for our lives. And at first glance, it seems like it would just be a simple thing. I mean, if I do something wrong, I break, I'm I'm speeding down the highway, and the lights lights flash, you know, and the guy comes up, and he has to see those little pieces of paper that I have about registration. And I can either be real and just confess that I was 
going a little faster than it should have been. Or I can try to fake it until I make it. Don't usually make it in that circumstance. But re- be real. Uh, so that seems like it would be simple. But instead of that, what do we do? We rationalize. We deny. We men are good at denying when we need to confess sometimes. Or we plea bargain. <laughs> now, plea bargain is something in the justice system today that I don't fully agree with, quite honestly, but it's there. And unfortunately, it's a way that we often treat our shortcomings or the things that we need to confess. We try to plea bargain with each other. We try to plea bargain with God. Sometimes we plea bargain with the justice system. Instead of that, we do something. If I bring up the next slide, this is out of the family circus cartoon strip from several years ago, actually. It says, all right, who's knocking the table? And, of course, look at the responses. <laughs> Not me. I don't know. Nobody. Not me. Must have been somebody else. <laughs> That's the way we treat things in our lives sometimes, isn't it? We get sometimes accused, rightly or wrongly, of something. Our first reaction is defensive or denial, rationalization, so on. Several years ago, my wife and I were out for the evening, and uh, we came home. The kids were old enough to have been left alone. And when we came home, the floor lamp was lying on the floor. It was toast. It It was just gone. And, of course, the obvious question, what happened to the floor lamp? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Nobody knew. (laughs) It just mysteriously toppled over, I guess. Denial. There wasn't even any plea bargaining in that case. It was just outright denial. Not me. Somebody else did it. Probably. Must have. That, unfortunately, is not a good way for us to deal with the things in our lives, personally, that need confessing. If you go to the scripture for some examples, go all the way back to Genesis. Adam, first man. He did something he wasn't supposed to do, didn't he? We're familiar enough with that story. He took that piece of fruit, whatever it was, apple or whatever, off of the tree of life in opposition to God's instruction. And he took a bite of it. He ate of it. And when confronted, Adam, what did you do? When me was her. And when confronting her, when me, with Satan, you know, just put the blame on somebody else. Instead of, please forgive me. I confess. It was me. That's the way we do sometimes. Later on in Scripture, one of my favorite characters, David, King David, when confronted with his sin, and the major sin in his life, the story of Bathsheba, had her husband put to death so he could fulfill his own lustful desire for her. But when confronted with it, confessed and asked for and received God's forgiveness. There's that tool for forgiveness that David was able to accomplish and do. Come up into the New Testament, another familiar character, the Apostle Peter. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested and taken away, Peter had three opportunities to confess that he knew the man and was a part of his band. But three times, Peter denied knowing Jesus. 
What do we do? What do you do when there's something in your life that needs confessing, legally or this morning, considering more importantly, spiritually, from a faith standpoint? How do you do with it? You've all heard the expression, probably, confession is good for the soul. Everybody heard that? It's a fairly common saying. Sometimes we think that, well, it must, that sounds so good, it must be from the Bible. But actually it's not. It's an old Scottish folklore saying. But maybe it's true nevertheless. I want to look this morning at three common uses of the term confession. The first of those is confession to God. And as soon as I say confession to God and talk of it in, quote, religious or spiritual terms, if you happen to have had a Catholic background anywhere or you know somebody that's Catholic, confession to God probably speaks to you of at least an old, older Orthodox Catholicism, the confessional, where a person would go in and sit down and talk to the priest on the other side of the screen and confess their sin, and the priest would give them absolution and forgiveness and Everything would be cool, and they'd feel fine, and they'd go out. And Unfortunately, too many times, continue their life really hadn't been genuine, perhaps, in their confession. And that's a warning for us, too, that when we come to God, that, that we have a confession to make. We do it honestly and sincerely. And in our Protestant tradition, we don't go into a confessional. We can go to Jesus directory, directly. The scripture tells us he's our intermediary, sits at the right hand of God, interceding for us. That's a rich privilege that we have that I hope we don't misuse by denial or by rationalization or even by plea bargaining. <clears throat> we can just simply acknowledge that we have maybe broken God's law, his moral law, That shouldn't be too hard to recognize. Isaiah 64.6 says, All of our righteousness is like filthy rags. And in the New Testament, Romans 3.23, probably most of us have heard that at least one or two times. It says that we are all sinners in need of God's grace. All have sinned and fallen short of his glory. So we need to confess to God. It's not necessarily a cool thing to do, but... There is really good news as a result of it. And it simply is that God has promised that when we confess, come up with the next slide there. 1 John 1, 9. Read this with me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and pure us from all, purify us from all unrighteousness. That's good news. That's kind of a summary capsule of the good news of the gospel, really. That isn't just that Jesus came and taught us some good things and left us with some good instruction, but that as a result of that, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us, and we can be made clean again. And if you've ever been in need of confession, and who hasn't, you know that that feeling of cleanness and the assurance that God has forgiven us if we've been honest in our confession is a good feeling. Amen? Well, the second area has to do with confessions to self. And sometimes it's just necessary to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, who am I? 
whoops, what have I done wrong now? Or what a good boy I am? No, sometimes it's what a bad boy I am. So confession itself is something that's necessary. And Romans 7.24, the message version of the Bible puts it this way. Read with me. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? That kind of expresses the feeling of desperation or loneliness or that we feel when we know we lack something or we've done something wrong either to ourselves, to another person. I imagine that I can probably safely assume that everyone in the room this morning have had those times, not too often, I hope, but have had those times when we've felt in our inner being that we've wronged someone else, but we just don't have the tools to deal with it properly. And so we do what I started out saying. We we deny it. We rationalize it away. We put it off. We just, we don't deal with it. And in the process, we hurt ourselves. We, we do something to ourselves that leaves us something other than whole and complete. Instead of being real, we become false. And we look in that mirror and we say, I don't necessarily like the way that person looks or acts or thinks, but I'm not quite sure what to do about it. Well, one of the things that we can do about it is simply to acknowledge to ourselves who we are, perhaps what we've done. Self-deception is one of the most common ways that we fake our lives and pretend that we're something else. We strive for a good reputation. Reputation, you know, is just what other people think about us. Character is what God knows about us. And we know, we realize somehow that when we look in that mirror and see something that we don't like, we lack something in the character area. But again, the good news is that it's so easy to take care of. Taken to extreme, it can end up being a psychotic condition or worse. But let it be the connection between our spiritual and emotional health, sometimes even our physical health. And we become real people, not fake people. I love the Psalms. David in the Psalms expresses so well our human emotions and our human conditions. And at one point, David is just so dramatically honest with himself as we need to be. That's what self-confession is about. It's being dramatically honest with ourselves. And when we're, when we're feeling down in the dumps or depressed, for example, you know what? To ourselves, at least, it's okay to say, I don't feel so hot today. To take in an extreme position in Psalm 42, 5, David expressed it this way when he said, Why are you in despair, O my soul? David knew the depths of despair, but David had the ability, the capacity to confess to himself that he felt despair 
and in the process opened himself up to God's healing touch and renewing touch. In Psalm 22, he expressed kind of the same thing another way, and he says, my heart has turned to wax, and it's melted away, and my strength is dried up. And then he goes on in that same psalm, says, but, but hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. Psalm 139, 14. David, because of his self-confession and honesty with himself, was able to say, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And for each one of us, that's the, that's the potential that when we, when we self-confess those things, we, we are honest with ourselves as to who we really are, we too can then say, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made in God's sight and in God's image. And especially with regard to self, a positive confession is such a good thing. It's an affirming thing. And if, if we can't have a, a positive confession about ourselves, how can we expect anybody else to have a positive confession about us? Be healed of your poor self-image, depression, despair, because God has provided the opportunity for that. And then the third thing, the third way, the third dynamic about confession has to do with confession to others. There's a cute story about a Sunday school event here. It says, During Sunday school, I was trying to teach the children that we all need God's forgiveness. After the Bible story, I asked one of the girls, Lisa, when is a time that you might need God's forgiveness? Her blank stare prompted my son to ask as he turned to me and said this, we don't have to tell you about our problems. This isn't the Oprah Winfrey show. (laughs) Well, no, it's not the Oprah Winfrey show. And we don't have to tell somebody else about our problems, but sometimes it helps. And that leads me to that third point, the confession to others. James 5.16 says this, and read this with me. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. Isn't that a good goal? Isn't that what you'd like for yourselves at all times and all circumstances to be whole and healed individually as well as collectively? You know, that's what makes a good community when the people The individuals in that community are whole and healed, and that's God's design for us. And sometimes the best way that we can achieve that, after we've taken care of the confession to God, perhaps, or the confession to ourselves, according to James 5, has something to do with admitting our faults to someone else. That can be a freeing thing. But it needs to be somebody that you trust, obviously. You don't, it doesn't mean just airing your dirty laundry to the world at large. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, is going to someone that you trust, a trusted friend, and just com- emptying your heart sometimes, confessing. The, the scriptural principle is to confess private sin privately to someone that you trust, and public sin publicly. 
not necessary to go to the elders if it's something just between private parties, unless it violates the practice of the whole body or community. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, In Christ, we are a common body. We are a community, another word for that. We can help one another. We can seek help from one another, and we we should and could and need to do that on occasion. Mostly it has to do with being real enough to ask for help, because that's really what confession is. It's It's asking for help in some way. And the key is to avoid putting on a false front. Don't be fake or pretend. Get real. And it opens the doors to forgiveness and real community. So let me summarize my message this morning with this illustration. I happen to live up in Kent. Some of you live in Tacoma, Puyallup, other environs here. I think it's a really great thing that municipalities like ours make a provision for taking care of our garbage, don't you? (laughs) If we had to all take care of our own physical garbage, I mean, where would we take it? What would we do with it? So on. But municipalities make a provision for garbage. But that doesn't do anything unless we decide to participate in their plan for taking care of our garbage. And then even more than that, we have to actually do something about it. Tuesday morning is garbage collection day up in Kent, where we live, and I'm glad that the city of Kent made a provision to pick up my garbage. They even provided me with a bin to put it in. And I decided to participate in that. But I still have to go every Tuesday morning and take that bin from my carport and take it out to the curb where that magical truck can come along and grab it and dump it and empty it. It works the same way with us in our spiritual life. God has provided a way to get rid of the garbage in our lives. We have to decide to participate in his plan, and then we have to actually put the garbage out. We do it by confessing our faults to God, sometimes to ourselves, sometimes to each other or to a trusted friend. Get rid of the garbage. You don't need to hang on to it. It's not doing you any good. God's provided a better way. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful this morning. I don't need to store my garbage. I can get rid of it according to your plan. I choose, Lord to participate in your plan. And I pray this morning that everyone here knows the value, the benefit, the wonderful release in participating in your plan to get rid of the garbage, to be real and not fake in our lives. Amen.